have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. Hello, and welcome back to the Twin Peaks Logcast. I'm Khalil, and with me today is the snake to my bobber. I don't think I should dignify that with a response, but regardless, I'm here suffering the Unplugged Professor. Uh, Today we are looking at the second episode of season one of the original Twin Peaks, the second episode often referred to as episode one, Traces to Nowhere. Yeah, this isn't confusing. So for the sake of you listening at home, uh, when we say episode one, we do mean the second episode. So next time we'll be back with episode two, which is the third episode. Are we going to do this for every single episode? No. So episode eight, which is commonly referred to as episode. Our audience is very intelligent and they will understand after this one notification. Unlike us who are not as intelligent and will not understand this after one notification. So would you like to start us off with one of yours, Unplugged Professor? One of mine. One of the things you noted while watching this episode blind for the first time. Yep. Uh, I gotta say, uh, watching it blind, uh, I could not get any of the visuals, but it sounded like a lot of drama was going on. Uh, jokes aside, though, um, first thing I gotta say, Laura Palmer is a freaking saint. Um, as far as I'm concerned, she is perfect in every way, and that is what makes her one of the most suspicious beings I've ever seen. Uh, apparently everyone loves her. Uh, apparently she's done all sorts of kind activities like Meals on Wheels. She enjoys tutoring people in their English for whatever time they've got. And she gets to know people very well, especially the good doctor, Dr. Jacoby. So, yeah, I had written down as well her schedule, which we're going to learn more about as time goes on. Does she actually sleep? We don't know yet. We don't have confirmation, so I don't want to make any assumptions. I feel like she gets her energy from the sun, so she just kind of like She is actually powered. a plant. She is plants. Um So, well, I mean, that makes sense because she was wrapped like that bouquet you said. Mm-hmm. So Laura Palmer is literally a flower. <laughs> it's fitting. Yeah. No. Yeah. So we know that she goes to school. Mm-hmm. There are indications of that. Yeah. That... I think it's twice a week she tutors Josie in learning English. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're told twice a week as well for Johnny. We're not sure which days of the week. I don't think for either of them. Probably opposite days or something. Yeah. Um, we know that she spends her time doing picnics with Donna and James, so James can practice his video skills. Well, within the past, what was it, like six weeks? Yeah, they had she, had, she had some time in her schedule in the past six weeks to okay. add something to it. Yeah. Uh, she does date Bobby, mm-hmm. so that's probably some sort of interactions she has with that kid. I'm sure. Um. We also have that she does the Meals on Wheels mm-hmm. with uh, the Jennings, the Norma Jennings or mm-hmm. the one who works at the diner. So all the J's that she knows. Right. All, we know there's so we many James, J's Jacoby, Johnson, Jennings. That's an ominous whatsoever. Johnny. Considering the significance of the letter J from the first episode or the pilot. And I hate to break it to you without spoiling anything. There is going to be more. She is not done with her schedule yet. I have a feeling I know of another J character, but we're going to just Ooh. move that off to the side. Ooh, you don't even want to speculate? Uh, well, unless you want me to move on towards another one of oh, my points. Going OK, no, well, let's keep, let's keep going, because I think uh, we yeah. have more to say about Laura being a saint, as you said. Yeah, but uh, yeah, as far as we are concerned, there is a lot of Laura going on. But Laura not, lore. Yeah, a lot of Laura lore going on. And that's just concerning why is that concerning for you can't this girl have a life of her own it, it, it's the combination with uh just the way that she was behaving especially close to the end uh that kind of makes it seem that laura was getting into stuff that she wasn't supposed to um, okay which makes even the idea for a m- Specified murderer. Uh, I think that things are going to get really weird soon. Um, To make more sense of that, I don't think we can really even account for a singular entity for being the cause of uh, Laura's death. Um, It's one of those Julius Caesar scenarios. The whole town of Twin Peaks each stabbed her once. (laughs) 
No, no, no. Um, it could be that. Um, <laughs> and I have no base grounding for this other than just the overall strange uh, feelings, tones, and interactions that I get from some of the more insane people who are going quite mad. But there might even be bigger forces at play. I'm thinking of almost like H.P. Lovecraft style of madness coming okay, on. So. Okay, okay. I'm sure we'll get more to that later. Yeah. Um. So we know that she takes on all these odd jobs, and I think we'd all agree that you know, Meals on Wheels, helping someone learn English, helping someone, you know, with special needs. Those are all good things to do. Yeah. We also know that there was something that may or may not be cocaine in her journal. Mm-hmm. Right. And different indications through either her uh, voiced tape record we saw at the end with Jacoby or just the things that Donna was saying. It seems like there might be something to what you're saying about her having some other side to it. If you had to kind of speculate, I guess, what do you imagine the real Laura Palmer might be like, given what you know so far? Uh, if as far as I'm concerned, uh, she is uh, a being that has transcended upon humanity and simply lurks amongst us, if okay. you will, uh, with a ever gray morality. I mean, let, let, let's just even just like going back to Laura uh, before her death. She had sexual relations with three men, apparently. At least three. At least three. Uh, She has bite marks on her shoulder, as well as her tongue might have been involved with these sexual relations. Her overall tone is this strange, eerie, almost kind of like a droning sound. Just like, yes, Jamie. James. (laughs) Jamesy. Jamesy, baby. Jamesy, baby. I love thee. Um... Wait, so this is actually the first time you've heard Laura Palmer speak, isn't it? Yes. Because uh, you've seen her image in the pilot, but not oh, yeah, her speak. She, yeah, she has been spoken about from all of... Which, by the way, the way she speaks kind of still goes on my theory of this person being an otherworldly being. She she does not speak like humans do. I mean, does James, for that matter? Yeah, We'll get to him later, I'm sure, but... Wait, wait, are we I, talking about the same James, just like biker James? Yeah. Yeah, he still speaks like maybe a little bit awkward but okay uh, he's still human yeah between donna and james like i I, imagine like this is an invader zim situation in which the zim alien is laura but unlike in invader zim we don't have a protagonist who knows this Mm. so we're left to speculate is she even a human or is she an alien yeah yeah kind of yeah okay interesting Um, yeah but no i I, i'm still on the account that uh both james as well as donna are the most normal people i've ever seen uh acting whatever it may be but yes going back to laura again um everyone keeps talking about how she seemed different towards the end uh how they understand how i'm sorry how she understood how mrs packard felt about mr packard's death that's not a normal thing to say uh and the fact that she has ten thousand dollars just in the security box uh you know something that she was involved with bobby with who bobby may have killed someone in. why bobby is an upstanding gentleman sure sure we can believe that as long as we want um but no there's so much going on with laura that uh at this point i'm swimming in laura and i don't know where to go laura in fact may be the one as someone might say yeah yeah sure one one thing I found kind of interesting to maybe talk about is we got the pilot and we talked before about how I don't know, maybe like a half hour or so over a half hour or so of the pilot is dedicated to this grieving process for the whole town. Mm-hmm. You know, we see it with the Palmer dad and mother. We see it with her friends at school. We see it with just literally almost everyone in the whole town shutting down the factories, shutting everything down. And the way in which the town is grieving. Then we get Cooper at about 36 minutes in and the investigation more formally starts. And despite the pilot being, you know, about the length of two episodes combined, I don't necessarily know if a ton happened. It's a lot of establishment. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of curious to talk about what we feel the purpose narratively of this episode is now obviously i have a bit more hindsight knowing where the series goes after this but just looking at this in a vacuum you know if you're following up episode one the pilot with episode one the second episode well yes we're there we're there we're fine it makes sense it's all good it's it's good man um if we're gonna follow up the pilot with this kind of an episode what does this episode do what does it do with what the pilot left it? Uh, it's it's almost like a little bit of a slow crawl. We're just kind of like uh, branching out from uh, the pilot. Just kind of think of the pilot with how much it established. It's the potted plant. This is stuff that's starting to sprout up. Uh, we've got uh, recently James is out of jail as well as uh, Bobby and our good pal Snake. 
Um, we have more um, information on Leo on how he's doing and what he does. <laughs> Which is take care of his clothes and his home and uh-huh. try to help his wife learn to be a better housekeeper. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure to know where to put the socks and the soap. Uh, we got more establishment on just some of the characters on what they're trying to go plot and move forward with, uh, especially the uh, gentleman who was trying to get the Norwegians on the side. Uh, Benjamin Horn. Benjamin Horn. Thank you. And a little bit more information with uh, Dr. Jacoby, but I want to wait with the Dr. Jacoby sure. thing towards the end. Sure. Uh, Sounds good. I, I, I got some ideas. Yeah. I guess what I find interesting also is that the pilot sets up a main storyline with Laura, but then also does sprinkle in a room for parallel plot lines and seeing how this episode, I don't think there's hardly anyone in the pilot that isn't touched upon in some manner or speaking in this episode. So seeing it kind of have to continue all the things that the pilot started. And just like before, you know, we noted how there was the storylines all connected to the Laura Palmer situation because everything with James and Donna does connect directly to Laura. Yeah. And obviously Cooper and the sheriff connect directly to Laura. Yeah. But then we awkwardly have the Packard Mill situation. And I think we can add to that this episode that Audrey is coming into her own as well. Yeah. So I think it's interesting to see how while the focus is definitely still on the investigation, I would say that not quite almost as much, but definitely a good chunk of this episode is on the Packards and the horns. And I think that's really interesting because as of right now, they're not as directly connected to Laura. Not to mention uh, we're establishing more things with fire. Yes. Sparkwood. <laughs> yep. Sparkwood. Uh, we're going to be. Uh, well, uh, God, I forget. Benjamin Horn, right? We're going to start a little fire. Yeah. Benjamin Horn. Uh, Talking about business or pleasure. I don't know why they, both Catherine and Ben sound the same, but they do. <laughs> they basically sound the same at this one. This point, they've got the same wavelength going. And come yeah. on, I think Benjamin's the kind of guy that would totally like if he could clone himself, he'd be into himself. No, but honestly, as far as it goes, we're, we're just really getting ready for fire. You know, fire, fire burns much brighter. Um, I would say. Going on about how about we just go back because the, this we had a lot more Leo content. Which is always appreciated. We love ourselves some Leo. Sure. The L in Leo stands for love. Mm-hmm. E stands for every time mm-hmm. and O stands for, oh, I love Leo. No, no, no. I think that the O stands for, oh, <laughs> take that as you will. Um, I, I think that uh, I've got cons- concerns for Leo and his yeah. tendencies to potentially murder. All, all jokes aside, um, we do not officially support domestic violence here on the Wonderful and Strange Logcast. Uh, I just want to make that clear. Uh, we'll, we'll joke, but Leo definitely of all the characters There are some who seem a little bit sinister. There are some who seem a little nefarious or at the very least lecherous. But Leo Johnson is the only one so far. I think we can all say who definitely is a horrible person. Like you could have some redemption arc maybe later. I won't spoil if that happens or not. But at this exact moment, he is a terrible person. We don't know the blood stain, but we do know about the soap. Yep, his he's got his favorite blue shirt, if you will, that has the large blood stain on it. Apparently, this is the second one that got lost. So this has happened before i imagine that just from how subtle he is he probably on the back of that shirt is just says i beat my wife (laughs) i'm pretty certain on that uh if i'm proven wrong i'll be proven wrong um but no he doesn't seem like a good person and the fact that bobby and snake are somehow mixed in with him and and that bobby is money and bobby's very adamant that you know you don't know leo johnson like bobby is afraid of the guy yeah uh, as far as it goes like bobby is afraid of him he owes him money apparently twenty thousand dollars worth and bobby said something earlier about or i can't remember who said it i'm pretty sure it was bobby from the pilot episode about killing a man yeah. So uh, I, I I have a mild idea where that money is going. <laughs> so one one thing also I find uh, interesting about this. I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, Which, by the way, uh, be, while you do get that train of thought yes. going, I just want to add one more thing to that. Oh, it's $20,000. Bobby paid oh. half for it. And the other half is somehow in Laura's account. Again, Laura connection towards something a bit frightening. Yeah, what I remember now, uh, what I think is really interesting is to kind of counterbalance this, though. Go. When Truman does introduce Leo verbally to Dale Cooper, explains who he is, he says he has a minor rap sheet. So from the law enforcement perspective, because this is a small town, yeah. supposedly a 51,000, more uh-huh. like 5,000, but whatever uh-huh. they say. 
everyone knows everyone in this town. And despite all that, all the really the law enforcement know about him is that he's a minor rap sheet. When it came to looking for suspects in the murder, they didn't like seek him out from the beginning. Like they sought out James. They sought out Bobby. But Leo, eh. He has a minor rap sheet, not a threat to society at all. Well, you know, in the small town of 50,000, uh, we have to consider about like it is like the murder of Laura was pretty bad. But murder of other people, how bad is that? What is yeah, the legality? Exactly. Laura is worth at least 10 people. Yep, Laura is oh, way more than 10 people. She dedicates her life to so many people. So many. That's fair. That's fair. Uh but yeah, regardless, um, I'm interested to see uh, where Leo is led and what more things we can learn about Bobby and Laura. More fun. Uh, to touch upon that one a bit, um, going back to Leo, because I, I do think we're not we're still uh, we can still be on Leo. If no, no, I, I think I want to talk about the people around Leo more so. OK, so I think we've covered what we want to with Leo, but I do think it's interesting to think about Shelly and Bobby and Norma and all this, because yeah. one thing that I thought was interesting upon rewatch is Norma has to know about this mm -hmm. because thinking of the way in which um, we were about to see Shelly go to work when suddenly she has to do another load of laundry for Leo. And in the way they act, this is not an uncommon situation yeah. for whether it's laundry or something else. I, we get a pretty clear picture. I think that Leo Johnson's the kind of guy, if he needs something done, you can go to work later. Mm -hmm. You know, his life, his, his every need kind of supersedes her job. Yeah. Right. I'm sure they rely on the money because they have like a, you know, a place to keep up. I'm sure they do use the money from her job to support themselves. But at the end of the day, his laundry comes first. I don't know about that, man, because apparently if he's getting paid twenty thousand dollars, that, is, that is mystery true. Things. That is true. OK, so maybe maybe not. Maybe the money's not for that. Maybe it's just for the <laughs> cigarettes she buys. Yeah. Um. But the fact that different brands like you like the thing is, though, is that Norma has to know about this for how frequently that seems to happen. Mm -hmm. And there's a moment in the pilot where Bobby even says, you know, I think she knows about us. And, you know, Shelly's like, Norma, and he's like, yeah, no, I think she's hot to trot for you herself. And then they make out, you know, and blah, 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 mm -hmm. all that lovey dovey stuff. Yep, yep. But I do wonder, you know, does Norma know about Leo and how bad he is? Mm -hmm. Does Norma know about Bobby? Does she kind of like. Is she OK with the whole Bobby thing? And that's why she was because obviously if Norma does know about all this, the last thing she'd probably want to do for Shelly's safety is to tell Leo. Ha. So I don't know. I don't have any like grand thoughts. I mean, obviously, we'll see as we go on. I just think it's interesting to view Norma as kind of the um, fourth party here, who is an older, almost mother like figure, it seems like, who mm -hmm. is her employer, mm -hmm. but has to just has to have some idea that Shelly's life is a wreck, mm -hmm. which I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting thing to notice, which is completely fair. Um, how we go a little bit into Dale Cooper? We got to see uh, just a little bit more fun Dale Cooper uh, mannerisms. Yes. Uh, what do you think he was doing at the beginning of the episode? Like he was exercising. He, he was definitely keeping himself stationary. It could just seem like exercising, but I like to think that he just likes to like sleep like a bat sometimes. That's a, that's a thing, though. That exercise, like where uh -huh. you hook yourself up and like do the crunches or whatever. Just like a, oh, I, I didn't see him crunching. I, he just I, I thought that he, that's just his morning. Yeah, routine, you, like, like, you like pull your uh, pull yourself up. Oh, OK. Well, I didn't see pull itself up. Oh. Like he was just hanging there, like speaking to the blood to your head. Yeah, I, I think that that's more it's like effectively okay. he's getting himself nice and ready so that the blood can slowly trickle down as the day. Goes or down. he's a vampire and he slept upside down. I would not be surprised at this point. Um <laughs> He, he says he likes his coffee black as midnight on a moonless night. Mm -hmm. Who else likes moonless nights? Vlad, Dracula himself. I thought, I, don't vampires like the moon? That was more. I, anyway, moving on. Yeah, this is <laughs> beyond vampires. Um, Dale Cooper overall still continues to interest me. He seems to be overshadowing Shepard a little bit. And Shepard kind of wrecked Shepard? Uh, what's his name? Uh. Truman? True, Truman. Sheriff Truman? <laughs> who's who's Shepard? <laughs> There's a character in Lost named Shepard. Oh, okay. No, this is Truman. Okay. This is the Truman. Yeah. Um, yeah, Truman feels a little bit overshadowed uh, going by the saying that he's about to take up medical matters just to take up the name Dr. Watson for him. 
Well, that's beyond the point of even that. Yeah, Cooper's leading the investigation, but Cooper's so far ahead of Truman that even when they're sitting on the couch together, he already knows that who like the sheriff's having an affair with. Basically, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say an affair because Truman is not married to our knowledge, and Josie, her husband's been dead for a year and a half. So is that really an affair? I don't know. But whatever the romance situation is. Cooper's so far advanced into the intuition of side of things that he even knows about Truman's personal life. I mean, right after at, Ben there for like a day. I mean, right at the beginning of the episode, we ended up seeing his interaction with uh, the horn daughter. Yes. If you will. Audrey. And again, things are just snapping on so quickly. Still makes Dale Cooper incredibly suspicious to me. But hey, okay. um, overall, he's still a lot of fun. I'm curious whether or not like that pie was better like the best in the tri-state as promised Mm. Uh, hopefully we'll get reference back to that later okay um as we kind of cycle through the different characters that seem to be focused on with this episode uh i guess i do want to spend more time looking at you mentioned you know the horn daughter audrey uh like i said before she was definitely a focus here i think it's interesting we get two parallel contradicting storylines as far as audrey's involvement with laura Mm -hmm. she tells cooper early in the episode that they weren't exactly friends Mm -hmm. right but then you also do get indication later when she's talking to her father and admittedly kind of a sarcastic conversation overall but when he's asking her about what happened with the norwegians she does say that she said that she was sad that her dear beloved friend laura palmer had been brutally murdered so she does like to play up in certain audiences how close she was with Laura. And then in other audiences, no, we didn't really know each other that well. So which do you believe is true of Audrey as far as Laura is concerned? As far as um, I I think it's less on Laura's concern. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Audrey plays her cards of emotion in such a way that will bring forward a certain attention to her, but I'm not entirely clear on what that attention is. Okay. Um, even while that she's speaking to her father about it, who seems to have a gap with her and yeah. even claims that she lost dead. her years ago. Yeah. 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 Effectively, it seems like there's almost this sense of grab towards attention to that. Um, how much Audrey resents her father or how much she wants uh, her father to recognize him. I don't know yet. I think I need to see more on that. But I think that there's an element of that in play, if you will, as she plays her cards going up towards um, going up towards uh, Cooper earlier on. I don't know how much she's trying to play towards the attention of her brother and so on, because she was playing up a little bit of a sense of a sympathy card alongside while being mildly flirtatious to him. So it seems like she's playing a game, but I don't know all the pieces. So part of it also is we don't really know what Audrey's like with enough people at this point. She seems to have a sort of flirtatious demeanor with most people she talks about in the sense that she's very coy. She's very um, doesn't let on the full extent of her knowledge and is willing to use sort of roundabout methods like even the way she handled the norwegians she likes to be a little bit more manipulative mm-hmm. so i guess i was going to ask you one of my one of the things about her is what did you think of the interaction with cooper and the way that was presented because obviously cooper's demeanor was different with her than he has been with the majority of people he's met so far so far uh she's been more outward if you will um like she seems to be she seems to be coy around a bunch of people but especially around dale cooper uh i think that it came out a lot more in that sense. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there is going to be some sensation or fling beyond it, mm-hmm. but I do think that there is going to be this sense of um, uh, unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Okay. Of just them so this is a death note, own. death note, light now situation. <laughs> you know, kind of, but okay. I don't think in that sort of realm, I think okay. that there's going to be some sort of subplot coming up between the both of them that will really push their personalities. And one thing also, I guess, going back to not Cooper, but just Audrey in general, um, you know, you brought up her brother when she's asked about it, that he's, you know, 27 years old and in the third grade. She tells Cooper that he has emotional issues, yes. which I think is really interesting because we're not led to believe that his issues are an intellectual disability. Um, we're led to believe there's some sort of emotional thing at root. And then she makes the weird ominous comment. It runs in the family, which we've met the mom very briefly. Otherwise, the horns we have left are Audrey and Benjamin. 
And Audrey, we know, spends her free time standing in her room, gently swaying to quote unquote racket, which I guess is like jazz music. Was that her room? The, the desk? Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was like her dad's office. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. It looked more like she was just intruding on her dad's office. Yes, Again, makes more sense. Yeah. So I guess the question is, when you have that idea that emotional uh, issues run in the family, what do you think she meant by that? Because obviously Johnny's a more like outwardly severe case of that than benjamin and audrey or the mother seem to be mm-hmm. what do you think audrey's hinting at with that explanation um i think that we're going to get some more information eventually on the brother who was a little bit torn up wearing the headdress and slamming his head into johnny. a small yep johnny slamming his head into the side of a dollhouse but i think that we're also going to be getting more information on the father i think that not all has been revealed about benjamin what if we never see benjamin horn ever again that's the he was a two episode character not important at all. Mm-hmm. He's just done. Right. How would you feel? Um, I would feel a little bit betrayed just because of all this sort of promise he's kind of building. I'm up sure as. most people who know Benjamin Horn have felt betrayed at one point. He, he seems to be a B plot villain. OK, and, OK. Um, I am looking forward to seeing more of him. Sure. Um, but between the sort of. Emotions we've seen with him, with his affair, with uh, emotions with his daughter and the way that he sort of suspends himself um, with the things around him he's just a very interesting iffy individual thank you yeah i don't know why i thanked you for that oh. i appreciate your you, comments oh you my flatter God. me on a podcast i oh made a new one uh i've got mainly one very interesting take but i think i'm gonna be saving that for an end do you have uh, much else do you want to um, say i have like the rest of my sheet okay. of notes. Okay, go on. Uh, go so, on. so dear listener, uh, pardon while I, I take the wheel here. Um, so we talked around them, but I want to talk about Donna and James more. Mm-hmm. Um, I have less to say about Donna. James, I think we should open up a can of worms on him. Mm-hmm. Um, Donna claims that like she's Laura's best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say claims because we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give credence either way. Mm-hmm. Um, so she claims that no one really knew her better than she did. And maybe James as well. And that uh, she feels to her like she's having the most beautiful dream and the most horrible nightmare all at the same time. Great line, by the way, which is a great line. And she confides in her mother who doesn't even know who James is, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. So however close they've been, Donna hasn't really told her mother about James. And then she does. And she feels kind of like a terrible person because, you know, the literal day she finds out her best friend is dead. She makes out with her best friends. Well, one of her best friends, boyfriends. Yeah. Uh, the secret one who supposedly where they were in love. Well, technically they're single now. So yeah, yeah single as of a day. Yeah. Um, part Some of the balance back. You know, part of the grieving process does involve making out with the dead person's loved ones. It happens you're saying to that, all of us. You're saying that in a tone that I should feel guilty about. Maybe Donna should. I don't know. I wanted to kind of ask you about that, because mm-hmm. then we get after she talks to her mom the next time. One of the next times we see her, uh, Donna brings James to meet the mom and dad, which, you know, in a lot of relationships is a sign of, you know, kind of, re- you know, meeting the parents is a big deal. So this is day two to our knowledge of their relationship. Well, yes. Uh, my question is that uh, maybe I missed something, but I know that Ed set something up just to make sure to keep uh, him safe especially with everything going on. Did he set up like him staying over there or is there something else? See, I, 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 I don't know. A curfew is kind of confusing because we don't really know what time the exchange happens. We know there was a curfew set after yeah, the murder. It's late at night. Uh, at the very least, maybe like being very generous. It might be six in the evening. And right. It's just super dark, but it's around dinner time. Yeah, let's just say that. Um, I guess it could be that, yeah, they're hanging out. And then as soon as it gets close to curfew, it kind of returns back. Either way, a little weird. Um, Maybe Ed is protecting them with ninjas. Yeah, just ninjas that's in perfect. The darkness. There was an idea that uh, when Ed was talking, I can't remember if it was to the sheriff or was to James about the idea of kind of being on patrol. So there's a sense that maybe Ed is looking out in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, because like right now, even with the threats that uh, Billy there's so many names oh no not billy (laughs) Billy the kid bobby yeah uh there are a lot of bobby and snake uh just kind of being out and about even being threatened by um yeah connor earlier connor okay now dale cooper dale cooper (laughs) connor (laughs) i think of the home improvement character anyway um, okay but still cooper made a threat towards them and still 
regardless, Snake and Bobby are out and about, ready to lay the smack down yeah, on James. Yeah, James is on, in more danger than usual because Ed was just attacked by those people recently, too. So if they attacked Ed, they sure as heck would attack James. Anyway, whole story short, I think what's interesting also is that I have a feeling Donna's mother must, like, heard the story, like, you know, embraced her daughter. Yes, I understand why you feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Hey, bring the boy over tonight for dinner. So, like, obviously the, the the Hayward mom and probably the dad, too, they're like, you know what? Yes, people grieve in their own ways. If our daughter needs to go and suddenly impulsively date this boy who was the true love of her dead best friend, it's a normal thing. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the grieving process. Do you think Donna and James are doing anything wrong? In what they're doing. Um, as far as it goes, it seems that they had an emotional attachment beforehand and they are latching on to one another. So um, maybe being foolish teenagers and rushing into something. But I don't think it's wrong to try to be close with someone you feel close to in the sight of loss. As Elvis said, only fools rush in. Mm. Did, did he say isn't that? that? Isn't that the lyric from that song? I don't know Elvis. OK, like all well, I, he has good hair. <laughs> Yes, he does. On uh, that note, James in general. Let's talk about James and not his hair. Uh, well, well, again, uh, as far as James goes, still concerned how he's being watched out for. Uh, I'll be honest, throughout my whole time seeing it, especially with the log lady interims, uh, I've been trying to keep an eye out to see if the log is ever separate from the lady. Like, uh, is, if, is, are you assuming is this going to connect to James in some way? Is yeah, James yeah, the like, log? like Ed was supposed to hire someone to watch after him. So uh-huh. I, I'll be honest, I've been looking for that log to see if like he asked the log lady to watch after him and just have the log just somewhere in the scene. Would you feel more safe if the log lady is there, the log or the log and the log lady? No. OK, um, I would feel safe. But at the same time, this is a strange enough town. And apparently the log knows a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, my segue, which you interrupted, my natural flowing segue was going to be speaking of hair. I love the moment when James is talking to Laura in the past and she's like, James, do you know why I'm so happy today? It's because you smell so good and your hair's so soft. And then she's just like, no, it's not that. It's because you love me. And I just think that, you know, what well, we know of James, right? We, he's, he doesn't have any criminal record. He, he says he tried to get Lore off of cocaine. He seems like a good boy. You know, he seems like a nice biker boy. But he's he also has a budding dumb. interest in film. But clearly. he's also a dumb, dumb boy. He's also very stupid. And Laura, from the, just a little bit of the tape, you know, he's so sweet, but from he's Dr. so... Jacoby. For Dr. Jacoby, which we're, we're building up tension for Dr. Jacoby. Bom, bom, bom. Yes. And I just think it's uh, really interesting, you know, the two different perceptions here. James doesn't seem to pick up on the idea that she thinks he's an idiot. Mm -hmm. And I think, at least in my heart, I understand where Laura's coming from. Mm -hmm. He does seem sweet, but he also does seem really dumb. And then I think to like James's upbringing, we know his mother is mysteriously not around. Mm -hmm. And then we have him left in the in the natural and nurturing environment of Ed and Nadine, which, you know, Ed seems like a nice guy. But when the pilot, when it came to emotional reassurance all ed could do was awkwardly hug him and say you know i'm so sorry you know or was that donna he did that to but either way i don't sense ed is the normal sensitive type he doesn't really know how to express his feelings i think that was a little bit too much emotion there you kind of channeled the jolly green giant i'm so sorry green giant and then you got nadine who i think her emotions are a bit more clear but they are very singular and they are very focused on running drapes yeah so i don't you know i don't i don't I'm not surprised that James resorts to riding his motorcycle around the town and spending time away from home, mm-hmm. given his home life is unstable, not in the sense of necessarily abusive or bad, but Nadine and Ed don't seem like a stable household. I also have to be curious on how close Ed is with uh, his name isn't Shepard. His name is Truman. His name is Truman. Good job. <laughs> the Harry S. Truman. Uh, the fact that Truman even knows about Ed's affair, I don't know how necessarily sure. close the two are. I don't know how much knowledge is out and about. Okay. Uh, all I know is probably Nadine is more concerned about making sure cotton balls are making her drape silent. Yes. More than anything in the outside world. Uh, how this is going to affect things later... Um, is curious, but I probably would be similar to James and probably stay out of this complicated situation. Sure. Uh, shifting gears, we've covered most of the, I think, main focal characters of this episode. We've covered uh, Laura, Bobby, James and Donna. 
Um, and we're obviously, again, building suspension for Jacoby toward the end. So just looking at a few of the uh, side characters, which, again, I'm looking for kind of everyone during this whole thing. Uh-huh. Uh, we get our first vocal lines from the character. You don't know his name yet, but his name is Major Briggs. Uh, that is uh, Bobby's father. Uh, who sits at the table wearing his like military jacket with opera music playing quietly in the background. Yep. And he gives a, how would you describe, I guess, Major Briggs' speaking? It, uh, it is a very calm and eerily supportive demeanor. Yes. So he basically, you know, says that he understands that young people have a certain rebellious nature and that he thinks it's natural. And in fact, he, he confidentially, he does think that it's uh, courageous in some aspects. But he knows he has to rein Bobby in for the law. He can't have Bobby breaking laws of society, but also for the laws of the family. Uh, and he's he's very clearly trying to get Bobby's attention. And Bobby, you know, as as Bobby do, uh, as Bobby do, as Bobby do, Baba Duke, he takes out his cigarette and he's about to smoke. And what does Major Briggs do? Uh, backhands it straight into the meatloaf, straight into the meatloaf. I think it was um, meatloaf. And just continues back in that calm demeanor, you know, a little agitated now. You know, he's a patient man, but his patience has limits. And then he says the kind of vaguely threatening, but also reassuring tone. You know, the vaguely threatening, reassuring tone of a father. That, that's Briggs. Uh, saying, you know, uh, you know, everyone in their life, their mission is to find their path in life. And I'm going to make yours very clear. So what was your first impression of Major Briggs and his his goal of making his son's life mission and path? Very clear for him. So far, I'm loving it. Uh, There are various different styles and relationships throughout Twin Peaks that there's not really two that are too much alike. Uh, And to have this very appearing and strict and appearing in a very military-like fashion individually. But at the same time, put up like the over-supportive role of a really involved father. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, I'm loving Briggs thus far. Um, I don't know how much more involved he's going to be getting in with Bobby, but I hope it's a lot soon because Bobby's in some really deep poop. If you know, knowing what you know of Bobby, would you if you would have been asked before, what do you think his father's like? Mm-hmm. What do you think you would have guessed Bobby's dad is like? Uh, distant. I didn't even think that like, his father would be that involved. Sure. Whereas Briggs, you know, among other things, does seem to care. He does seem to care. He seems involved. His mother also seems involved. Yes. Briggs just has the bigger presence, but he seems to have very kind and supporting parents for the most yes. part. Um, which is good for him. You know, he needs that. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of kind and supporting parents, uh, Sarah Palmer, you know, she's going through the grieving process in her own way. Unlike, uh, Donna, she is not making out with, uh, one of Laura's boyfriends. Thank Mm -hmm. goodness. Mm -hmm. Although I can't spoil in case there's a Sarah Palmer, Bobby, you know, Bobby Briggs love triangle happening later. Mm -hmm. I can't, can't spoil that one. Um, but she's talking with Donna and then as they're, as they're talking, she sees like Laura's face, like graft onto Donna's face. And then she looks over and sees, uh, I don't know how you want to describe this man, but sees an individual. Uh, I guess I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, uh, and so just expand. That is, I want to leave that to the oh, end. That okay. Is, that is like one of my big notes towards the end. Okay, making tension building ending comments. Cool. Bum, bum, bum. We'll, we'll, we'll save that. Uh, I don't have much to say on this next one then, I guess. We saw Detective Hawk. That's the Native American officer. He's over uh, talking to the Ronette Pulaski uh, parents. And then he sees this guy leave an elevator with one arm, the one arm man. Yep. And he, he, he falls into like the morgue oxygen area yeah. and then just kind of loses track of him. I think it's really interesting that Hawk just like pursues him. We don't know who this guy is. And does Hawk have any reason to like go after him because he kind of like he's in the middle of talking to the parents of a victim who may be the same perpetrator, you know, maybe the same perpetrator as the one who killed Laura Palmer. You think a very important conversation. It just kind of like suddenly abruptly. <clears throat> sorry, I have to go right now. Just hightails it after the one armed man toward the morgue. I wouldn't even call it hightail. He takes a casual pace towards it. Now, it was brisk. How, it was please. That was not brisk. But anyway. He, um, like, this old man with a, just one arm just walks down a hallway, if you will, and it seems like there's only one thing down that hallway, and that's the oxygen room and the morgue. He walks down towards that general direction, but when he does walk down along, like, a fair distance from him, when he makes his way through the door, the camera pans towards showing that there's the uh, morgue and the oxygen room, the room's entirely blue, and there's this strange pod that's off on the side, likely to transport bodies and whatnot. Seemed like something may have been in it, but it was too hard to see with the darkness. Um, And then he just looks both ways and walks out. I don't know if that was just 
supposed to be more so of an audience transition to kind of like introduce this character. We did see him in the pilot. Um, Oh, we did. Yeah. Okay. He was very briefly in the pilot. And again, for listeners, we had watched the original pilot, not the international. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as it goes, he just starts walking down this hallway. So I imagine he's just following to see what he's doing. He Mm -hmm. might not be a recognized individual in here. But I also don't know who gets access to the morgue or everyone. It's a communal morgue. It's a communal morgue. Oh, you that's know, so anyone sweet. who needs access. It's like a public park. Mm-hmm. He might be the one armed electrician that's going to help the, with a little blinking light from the pilot. Perhaps so. Um, and then I also have one I want to end with. So I have second to last one and then I'll let you do your big one. Uh-huh. And then we'll end on mine if you don't mind. Oh, if we just just before we get towards this uh, area on towards this small question. Um, do we know much about the character that may have drug dead? No. OK, we, we got a name of Jacques Renault. Yep. So which we got is a, a J, but it it's a J. it's a French Canadian J. Oh, yeah. OK. What is that implying? Is that a suspicion or lack of? Does that count as a J? Well, yeah, no, it's a J name because well, phonetic alphabet. It's a different writing. It's anyway, a name. So, so anyway, my only my question before we get to your your final and my final, my uh-huh. last mini one. Uh-huh. Uh, did you have any thoughts on the fish in the percolator? It's kind of and you wouldn't know this. It's kind of a fan favorite line. It's it's one of the most referenced parts of the show. And I think it's interesting viewing yes. with someone. Exactly. Viewing with someone who doesn't know the Twin Peaks community. I think it's fun to see what sticks and what doesn't. So I won't always reveal like, hey, this one's a big one. But this one is a big one. Not for anything I can really say is spoilery. But I did want to ask because it it is obviously weird and it's drawn attention to. And they do call back to it later at the diner. Yeah. What did you think about the fish in the percolator? Did you read into it in any significant way? Or is it just a just a goof? Now, tell me if I'm mistaken, but this is the man who discovered Laura's body, right? Correct. Uh, He went off fishing. Correct. Uh, so I imagine he's just an avid fisher. So he goes ahead and collects fish. I'm concerned of the living situation more than anything, just because of like where you would store like things like fish or the water or anything like that. And somehow it gets into the coffee area. Like, does he just reuse and filter the water that he gets from fishing? Well, or? what's also weird is that we know that Josie was the one who's going to make the coffee for them. So Josie, what, what are you doing? Your man's in the living room. He wants some coffee. You don't put fish in it, Josie. I don't, you know, maybe maybe in her Japanese, Chinese, whatever culture they're trying to convey Josie as. Uh, and I don't mean this in a racist way. I mean, I know that the actress is a different nationality than what they put her as. It, it seems like you're leading down a racist path. No, what I'm saying is <laughs> in Twin Peaks, I don't think they normally put fish in their coffee. And, and Josie, I don't know what she was doing. Um, but aside from that, I actually thought you were going to lead to a really interesting metaphor. So I'm going to pretend you did. You were saying, you know, how uh, Pete discovers the body. Does that mean that metaphorically speaking, that the fish in the percolator is Laura? It certainly is fishy like that. Laura. She is the fishy thing that is or it, maybe not necessarily Laura herself, but the mystery of her death is the fish. That it is the thing rotting and flavoring the town. I would say um, it is definitely a strange flavor that's at the taste of everyone's mouth um, for more worse than better. OK. All right. Uh, let's we built up enough suspense, I think, to go to your final talking point. Go ahead and lead the way, Professor. OK, so here's the complicated mess in my head. The gentleman that we see uh, suddenly shocking Laura's mother is a figure that she is just outright distraught about. She just goes straight up screaming over this person. Long hair, jean jacket, uh, just staring right back at her. Probably a vision. I don't think that there is a man leaning there, literally. And to remind the audience again, if you missed the first episode, I just want a reminder. When we watched the original pilot, I did bring his attention to the window at the end of the pilot episode. So that was something I told him to pay attention to. Just uh, heads up. So uh, if whether or not that is actually the Klingon, um, she he has a presence with Laura's mother. Uh... At the end, when Jacoby's listening to the little message and we kind of like get shot out of in the middle of the message when she starts bringing up the man in the woods. Um, and later on, we actually do see Jacoby opening up the coconut to reveal half the heart. Mm-hmm. 
I genuinely do not believe that is the same half heart that we see uh, the person in the woods pick up at the end of the pilot. That person's wearing a jean jacket, just like Mr. Longhair, which mm. leads me to believe that there isn't just one heart. Ooh, I'm thinking that so far, like Laura specifically, like takes this heart and then snaps it in half and gives that half uh, to uh, James. Uh -huh. But who's to say how many necklaces she potentially has? We find out that every person who lives in Twin Peaks has half of Laura's heart. Yeah, I would not be surprised, <laughs> but I don't think that this man in the woods has connections to Dr. Jacoby. I could be proven Kay. wrong. Uh, she does give a report to him about it, and maybe they have a really good working relationship. I, I like the idea that it cuts very dramatically one time to Pete learning that everyone had a copy of the heart, and he's like, I thought I was special. I thought Laura and I had a connection. And he just starts weeping and... <laughs> No, uh, I think that so far, uh, if I had to make a guess, uh, I imagine that the three people that she may have. Uh, no, actually, I can't even say that because uh, by James's account, unless he's lying, uh, the day that she seemed different, uh, they met about 930 and um, at about 1230 while he was at a light, she jumped off the motorcycle. So unless let, there were some relations going on between those three hours that he just didn't mention with mm -hmm. despite her distance, maybe those hearts could be connected towards those three peoples, including James. Maybe not. But the fact is, is that uh, James and Donna were in the middle of the woods, seemingly alone. And that was my main concern for thinking the person who picked up the heart may have been Dale Cooper because they were the only ones on the trace. But if there's a mysterious person wandering around the woods and coincidentally came across this situation or has mild knowledge of people about that gives it more opportunity for this person to have found that said half of the necklace. And the mm. fact that also Dr. Jacoby could have a half of a necklace. I can't imagine any different way than other than multiple necklaces. Food for thought may yes. or may not relate. Uh, earlier when uh, Sheriff Truman, mm -hmm. also known as what did you call him earlier? Sherman or something? Or? Uh, sh uh, shepherd. Shepherd. For some reason, he, he looked like a shepherd. He looks like he could herd some sheeps. He could look. He, he's definitely trying. So when we shepherd goes over to Ed, who's in the sheriff station, you know, he says, how's the coconut? And, you know, that's referring to Ed's noggin, which has a little bit of a boo-boo. Uh, but then we also see at the end of the episode, Dr. Jacoby with a coconut that has half a heart in it. Could the coconut as the head be metaphorical of the psychiatrist opening the head and finding Laura within? Could you do something with that? Or am I grasping at straws you're really not grasping at straws literally the tape says love laura he starts being emotional at the end L well emotions are interesting because because is it a cry or is it a laugh because i've always thought that was interesting you really can't tell exactly what his reaction is you can't tell but it's an extreme emotional it's, reaction it's, it is so an emotional so reaction of one kind or another or both simultaneously but whether or not it is both one or the other it's still opening up the mind and be, and sort of discovering that sense of emotion if you right. will i don't think it matters what emotion except for personal takes if you will or personal thoughts on dr jacoby uh, but I think it still is clear that there is this firm attachment uh, and being inside the coconut, I feel, is an intentional choice. So what we can say then is that the mind is a coconut. Laura is in everyone's coconuts. Everyone has a piece of Laura in their coconuts and that Laura's death is truly the fish in the percolator that is the town. Or we are just going by coincidence and uh <laughs> he just really likes tropical things especially with this little tie i actually really dig his like his little office space it's the most vibrant area because i'm so sick of seeing like nothing against the great northerns like decorating it's great it's great but like so many like wooden birds and like just wood in general seeing you know you know the hawaiian atmosphere it's a nice change of pace i don't know man dale cooper seems to really like his trees yeah that's great for dale cooper um and then We'll ask you in a moment uh, your your overall thoughts on the episode. Who is we? Uh, you is you. I am a royal we. I'm I'm a royalty. Uh, I wanted to also ask one last question. Semi-serious, semi-silly. In the Log Lady intro that we watched, uh, yeah. she said, behind all things are reasons. Reasons can even explain the absurd. So I'm asking you a twofold question. One, I'm asking, do you agree with that statement? And then two, what really went on between Marilyn Monroe and the Kennedys and who really shot JFK? So it's kind of a multifaceted question. Mm -hmm. uh, so you'll have to repeat the second part to me. But uh, no, after <laughs> this, after this. I will. But um, 
as far as that, yeah, reasons can try to explain the absurd. It doesn't mean that there's going to be any connection. So, yeah, I, the log lady has a lot to say. Um, I don't necessarily think that there is anything much larger said from it. Um, I but think, you do believe that at the end of the day, all things can be explained with reasons. Uh, everything can be explained. It's just whether or not it makes sense. Okay. It, citing the absurd. Okay. Interesting. And then my next question was the question that was plaguing uh, Cooper's mind this yeah. episode. What exactly went on between Marilyn Monroe and the Kennedys and who really pulled the trigger on JFK? I don't know much about Monroe's and the Kennedys. Uh, I don't look too much into it, but the sense that uh, he is uh, curious about things, even towards uh, conspiracy theory. I think that it's overall a good mental exercise Dale Cooper does to keep himself on top. And despite how omniscient Dale Cooper can tonight scene, he also does not know the answer to what happened to the Kennedys. Yeah, I'm sure that if he was a little bit closer, maybe he would. But for now, uh, there are no notes under their fingertips. So escaped him this time. All right. So I would like to ask you your final two questions. I want to know what wasn't the last one. The final question. Those How were the final? questions on the list. OK, sir. Okay. Uh, How many more? OK, go ahead and ask your <laughs> next list. of My final, final, final questions. I want to know what you thought of the episode overall, as well as who killed Laura Palmer. Your theory as of episode one, which is episode two. OK, uh, this episode. Oh, I hated it. No, this one. It was pretty good. Um, again, it's just starting to lay some more groundwork and I'm getting some more of more favorite characters. Uh, still, Donna and James are kind of the dipping point for me. They're the most average thing at best in this. They seem to be more so um, plot elements more than they are people. OK, um, I'm curious about more of the mystery that um, is going to be coming at me, uh, hopefully soon. Um and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So who killed Laura Palmer? The Great Cthulhu. It, I think no. that now there's this great, great eldritch power that I'll is influencing the minds of our youth. At this point, uh, I think that it's uh, Laura Palmer is dealing with larger things than herself. So the joke is the Great Cthulhu. Uh, the not so joke is something very, very strange. And I'm not going to say someone yet. So you your first episode, the pilot, you said it was probably Deal Cooper. Yeah. This and time now you've moved to some inexplicable mysterious force. I think that overall Dale Cooper is chasing something very, very weird. And I think that that's what's going to get him stuck for the most part. Again, he seems very ahead of the game on most of the details. So I think that the only thing that can stop uh, like Dale Cooper in his tracks is going to be something that is very, very different, odd and off like a from Decepticon logic. Yes, the great Decepticon. Well, wherever Cooper may be following the trail, we will certainly be following him. And if you'd like to follow us, uh, I don't know if we have social media, but you can email us at snake. I dreams at gmail.com no spaces no spaces and that is snake eye dreams not snake eye as in person but snake eye as the eye of the snake okay lucy thank you <laughs> uh thank you for joining us on this wonderful strange adventure we look forward to seeing you well knowing that you're hearing us without physically seeing you next time goodbye <laughs>